Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Good morning and welcome to another week and welcome to another edition of Spin the Rally Pod and another edition without the glorious tones of Lisa O'Sullivan still stuck in Beijing, probably not stuck in Beijing, actually loving She's life in Beijing. She's having a great time, David. Yes, She's having she is. an amazing time. She is, and I have to say it was very encouraging that the Winter Olympics got some snow over the weekend. That was, uh, yeah. that was quite a treat, wasn't it? Some real snow, yeah, cancelled, should we say. Cancelled, cancelled events, it's lovely. Yeah. And am I right in thinking we have a big medal hope coming on Wednesday? Now, I knew I should have done some research before I jumped into this. Dave... Is this, is this curling, is it? No. 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 I was going to say something dreadful about curling, but I won't. Uh, Dave is okay. uh, either a slalom or a super giant slalom or a giant slalom. Somebody help me out here. Uh, Dave, I thought I thought being... I thought they'd all been actually already the the giant giant slaloms. Been Dave riding, Dave riding. Yeah. I thought is he is he not coming? Dave the rocket. Jolly good. I've not followed it, but good luck to the guy. Luke is remaining good luck to absolutely everyone. silent. Yeah. <laughs> is that because you know you or you don't know anything about this, Luke? It's it's because I don't know anything about this, and I have to say, just to pull a bit of a sort of rug over the behind the scenes stuff, we've got a plan. We always have a plan. I yes, last week was my first time with the podcast. I saw the plan firsthand. Nothing about curling. <laughs> it all, and this no. is the wonderful thing about podcasting. You just have a chat, and it goes wherever the wind blows. But no, mm. I haven't got a clue. I'm afraid about curling. Only we rallying? Right. And even then, it's questionable. Well, apologies for that, and apologies for a, for a lack of a, of an introduction as well. Obviously, we've already heard George Donaldson, uh, our former sporting director and man who knows everything about everything about WRC, and Luke Berry, our deputy editor from Dirtfish.com. Welcome both, and let's get back to the podcast running order, which means, Luke, over to you to tell us what was big on the site last week. Yeah, so I, I don't know about you, Chats, but for me, it almost feels a little bit strange, this sort of four-week gap between Monte Carlo and Sweden. It is, I don't want to say it's a long wait, because I think we're lucky as WRC sort of fans and journalists and former team members and whatever you'd like to call us, is we get rallying a lot. We don't have a, a massive, big sort of three-month break, but it does. It, mm. for me, it's felt quite long. We've had Monte, I just want to get going. And I don't, I don't know if the readers yeah. and, and listeners all feel the same, but in terms of stories, we're, we're still kind of a little bit in a, in a weird hangover, aren't we, of, of looking back on the first round, but also trying to look ahead to the next one, which is getting closer. But um, big story, I guess, um, David, and of course it was you that, that broke it, was Jordan Serdouidis has become the first privateer driver to, to own a Rally 1 car, which is exciting. Mm. Well, it- it is just to to go back to that point, and you're you're dead right, Luke. And it's funny when you know the first round is Monty. You know Monty's such a big event that you kind of can't help. It sort of sets the tone, it sets the benchmark for the season. So you're always going back to it, and then Sweden. But then after Sweden, it's going to be even worse because we've got a massive like isn't it eight week gap or something to to Croatia. But fortunately, we do have a Rally of Nations Guanajuato in the middle of that, which we'll get to later. Uh, but yeah, uh, Jordan Serderidis, great, great news. For me, great news for the yeah. championship that we're allowed and, to, to buy these or sell these cars and buy these cars. And what a lovely what a lovely guy Jordan is. He's an absolute 100% rally man, a rally yep. fan, loves driving, doesn't ever think he's going to win a rally, doesn't pretend it. He just enjoys the experience of driving a rally car and competing on an event. And, you know, at the end of every stage, he's got a smile on his face. He just loves it. It's, loves gr- it's, it's great, it's great to, to see him buying that car. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and you know, it's a great shot in the arm for me for the championship. I could, I could kind of see where the FIA wanted to go 
um, at the start of 17 with trying to keep these cars really exclusive, make them the sort of Formula One of the forest and stuff like that. But as is a very different sport to, to Formula One and to circuit racing. And, you know, we always have been very, very inclusive, haven't we, George? We will get to some incredible stories later in the pod about about you going and taking on the world's best six times in Ooh. Sweden. Uh, it, it's yep. what we're about. So it's no, it's a great move, great to, and great to see. Um, and I'm sure there will be there'll be plenty more of those cars sold uh, sold sold very soon. And but Jordan did make the point that he'd already lodged his order for the car before uh, Sebastian Loeb won Monte Carlo. So I'm sure perhaps the price might have gone up a little bit when uh, <laughs> when he when he won the Monte. Um, but we talk about people getting out of cars with a big smile on their face. The one guy who didn't get out of his car in uh, in Monty um, with a big smile on his face was Adrian Formo. Because uh, I think, it well, it wasn't terribly difficult to get out of the car because I'm not sure where the door was um, once he'd finished rolling. Uh, it was quite a long way away. Uh, but he did get out um, and he did go back to, to M-Sport, which is another story we've covered this week, Luke. Uh, Formo going up to M-Sport to, uh, to work on his car for Sweden. It's it's fantastic, isn't it? And it, it sounds weird to say that in a sense. I don't think anybody, formal, certainly not M Sport Management, Malcolm Wilson, Rich Milner, all the mechanics would have chosen this. But it is quite a sort of it is a nice story, I think, to just to see him come back. And he had sort of it had been rumored that he'd come back and and do it. And I think he was meant to originally come a week before he did, and then he he turned up. But mm. there's a whole week he spent there working with the mechanics, and he he said to you, David, about how it sort of helped him with the team spirit side of things, it, it, it's an interesting one for a driver, isn't it? Because you always get on your mechanics. Of course you do, you have to. But to spend that much time with them, and not only that, but could it even help him learn about the car he's driving? You, you get a proper hands-on look think, at, at the Puma. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing of all, Luke, is, is the fact that it'll help him understand the car because, you know, occasionally you have to repair a rally car when you intimately understand what it is you're undoing and, and uh, have, you know, what you have to do to get to a part to repair it, it's uh, Im- immeasurable. It makes it, it makes it the impossible possible. So, yeah, there's huge value in doing it. But also the, the humility in going back and doing mm. something like that tells you a lot about the guy. You know, that, that I, I've not really talked to, to Adrian much just a couple of times in, in, in uh, Safari last year. And, and and just as an interview, not socially at all, not even a chat. Uh, n- nice guy, but but just seeing that article fills me with warmth for the guy. I think, yeah, what a super bloke. He's gone mm. up there and, you know, worked with the blokes, you know, would, sat and had a coffee with the blokes and, and uh, just got on with it. It's great. Would you have ever had any anybody like that, George, when you were working with, with teams, that you would have encouraged them? Because... You know, the thing that Rich Rich Milner said was that it is difficult if you've had quite a big crash as a driver and then you don't see any of the team until the pre-event or even yeah. the actual event in Sweden. And then yeah. you've got to sort of walk into the team. And Well, if, yeah, if you, if you go back to the to the older the older uh, times, um, so I, mean, I can give you two examples. One is, well, on, on the old Reckies, uh, when we used to be down in Monte Carlo for three weeks, sometimes four weeks before the event wrecking, uh, you'd be you'd be alternating in and out. You'd go to a couple of tests on the way, so you'd be wrecking for a week, and then there'd be a test team would be down, and you would go and maybe do two days testing. And we would sit with that. The drivers were were with you all the time, mm. so you know you, it was just it was just, just before of you with two mechanics and a driver and co-driver. So you were socialising with them all the time. So it was you know there was a lot more um, interfacing together because you were away that length of period. You you, you became very good friends or very valued colleagues or if you didn't get on with the driver it would have been quite a strain and, and a mechanic that didn't get on with the driver wouldn't be or you know if there was a rub in it, it you wouldn't you wouldn't wreck it with that person anymore but the big thing for me would be thinking back to Bjorn Waldegard Bjorn was was uh, such a detail man Bjorn would spend in between safari recce and the rally starting there was always a period of a few days uh, Bjorn would come into the workshop and spend maybe one or two days working on the car, figuring out where he wanted everything, how the access was, practicing tyre changes, practicing getting the winches off, if it was going to be a wet safari, mm. where you'd put this where you'd put the straps, where you'd want to have the the the, the pull winch that can pull you out of a, a deep hole with a great big long wire and cable on it. 
uh, all that sort of thing. He he worked it out and he undid it all and redid all the messy things to do. But he would do all that and he would get into the car, understand, look at, go and look at the car, ask for certain spares packs to be made, uh, array his toolbox. He was a detailed man, but that would be the only comparison I could make. No other drivers went to mm. that length. Wow, it's, yeah. uh, it is incredible, yeah. and like you say, it is. It's a it's a great story. It's a story that uh, that yeah. that shows real humility, and and yeah, hopefully, uh, we'll 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 see. Uh, uh, well, we'll certainly see former the finish, hopefully, in Sweden. Uh, in terms of other news, obviously, we we were in Qatar for the first round of Middle East Championship, uh, and another victory for Nasser Alatir, the great Nasser Alatir, who has now won. I think it's. Uh, 452,000 rounds of the Middle East Championship <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, al- along with the 62 titles that he's won or something. It's ridiculous. But uh, has, he, has he now won more than Mohammed bin Salam? I think so, yeah. Let's, should we just should we dive in and check, George? Oh, oh, ask, whatever you do, don't ask these, don't ask ask these questions. questions well, I wasn't, I wasn't asking the question, really. I was just, I was just posing it. As, you as see, such, where's, so. where's Colin when we need him? Because Cole would have come up with the perfect answer for that. If, yeah, they're, they're in the same ballpark or something like this. Yeah, uh, they, they must be, yeah. Uh, but uh, I but mean, what, the interesting wasn't, wasn't it? Yeah, wasn't it nice that that, that uh, Chris Meek and, and and Mads Osberg went down there to see if they could beat him? Yes, and, uh, I presume that they were invited down to say, you know, come come down here and see it's for real. Two yep. two drivers that have that are that are that well, are, have both won WRC rallies, and they go down there and uh, well, I mean, I think they probably had a good fight before they they fell foul of problems, but uh, it looks like the problems were induced by by uh, overdriving probably. I, I've got yeah, to be honest and probably. say I don't I don't know about um, about Osbergs. Obviously, we know about Meek's first day incident. Uh, mm. So, rally in terms of rally victories, uh, NASA has had seventy seven victories. Uh, Mohammed bin Salim sixty victories, and in terms of titles, uh, hang on a sec. Right, talk amongst yourselves. Uh, talk just amongst actually, yourselves, actually, just fill us in, Luke, on what happened to Ostberg. If so you Ma- know. Sorry, I'm going to put yeah, you on the spot now. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 I, I do know that. There is a report, on, a report on the website, which I wrote. So if I didn't know, that would be a big problem. <laughs> but <laughs> Mads, Mads was leading, I think, just by under 10 seconds after the first day. He took the lead from Meek, who, as we know, you sort of saw from it. If, if somebody doesn't know, he had a bit of a an oopsie, a rollover on the first hairpin of the fourth stage. It was a shame, really, wasn't it? It was kind of like mm. Chris Meek's career in a nutshell. Fast, but just a mistake und- undid the good work. But he did at least recover to to get a podium finish, which he didn't manage last year. So that that was an improvement. But Mads was ahead of Nasser, um, and then had to clean the the gravel clear on the second day, first on the road. And he was actually quicker on the first stage of the day as well. So he was giving a proper race. And then I think he got. I've not seen any of the footage or anything, but he said he got lost. Um, I'm only assuming with, with just the stage train and everything being so different to everything he's done before. He then got a puncture, which put him about 20-odd seconds behind. And then on the penultimate stage, I think he went over a jumper or compression, which broke essentially the water pipe, and he had to retire with, with a water leak just before the final stage, which gave Nasser a winning margin of about four and a half minutes. So it, it looked on paper like he absolutely walked it. And to be fair, I think Nasser was was playing the tactical game. Obviously, he knows these rallies better than anyone. He's won this year's Dakar. He knows how to manage an event. Um, mm. But Mads, Mads and Chris, I, as you perhaps would expect, but they were there. But I, I always find this quite fascinating when you see drivers of their calibre come out of their comfort zone. And essentially, and I, I, it sounds a bit detrimental to some of them, particularly NASA, but race the locals, if you get what I'm saying with that is. Yeah. We had the same when we saw Craig Breen come back to Ireland for, what year was that, 2019 now? And even then, yeah, and he wasn't actually that far ahead either when he came back and did that. But I, I, I always love it when you see these WRC drivers come back to to rally two cars and, and sort of race in places you wouldn't expect. I think it's fascinating. Ah, absolutely, and I think you know what it does. It it shows us. It demonstrates once again just what an uh, you know an absolute master of the of the Middle East um, nationality is. And of course, we know that. Since 2003, he's only been beaten twice in the championship, which makes him a 17-time Middle East champion. Everybody knows that uh, Mohammed Ben Salim had 14 championships. So, yes, Nasser is comfortably the... So he's, uh, the... he's, he's, Lob, he's Loban Oji put together in terms of world titles in his, in his domain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is yeah, nuts. Yeah, he is. Which is well, pretty he's impressive. A, he's a... 
He is a canny old fox, and uh, yeah. whilst he was undoubtedly being challenged by both Chris and and uh, Mads, uh, he's the one that um, just did enough to win, and that's the mm. key out there. You know, it's so easy to take a jump too fast. You know, yeah. go through a wadi. I've, I've never been to Qatar to see the actual terrain, but so easy to make a mistake to trip up at a hairpin. You know, rolling at a hairpin—that's not a horrendous driver error. That's just you know you've gone in, you've lit the car up. Um, the wheels have spun up and it should it should slip over the corner and what's happened is he's just caught a rut that's maybe mm. had a stone in it rather than dirt you know he's come into it it's it's um it's an excusable mistake for a for a for a driver which if if, if, if they need an excuse i don't think they ever need an excuse and mads he knocked a water pipe off on a jump so yeah nasa yeah. did a brilliant job but like like End you say off. luke you know in a in a microcosm that is chris beak's career isn't it it's it's blinding mm. pace and then just a bit of misfortune and I, there was somebody in Monty that I can't remember. I was when I was doing a bit of prep for this last night. I was desperately trying to think who it was. It was somebody really quite influential uh, that had worked sort of ten years ago in the sport, and I, I remember saying to them, "Who? So who's the one? Who was your standout driver?" And he said, "Chris Meek, always Chris Meek. In terms of speed, raw pace, always Chris Meek. There's never been anybody quicker." Uh, in the chat, and it wasn't a Brit. It wasn't somebody from Northern Ireland. Uh, it was mm-hmm. probably somebody from Citroen or something like that. And you just kind yeah. of forget that actually, you know, to go from A to B, you know, from when everything was working for Chris, he was just dazzlingly quick. Um, but just had that tendency sometimes just to overcook it slightly, or just as we've said yeah. there, just to fall foul of the rock that was in the middle of the road. Wow. Um, Rallying's often described as a craft. Anybody yes. can go quick. Anybody can co- go quick around ten corners, but go quick mm. around a hundred corners. Uh, and and mm. rallying's a craft. And you know, going fast on a single stage is meaningless in broad terms. In rally, if you're not winning events, winning stages is nothing. Sorry, it is nothing in, in terms of a result. Okay, okay, you're fast. Lots of drivers are fast. You know. Yeah, but as fast uh, there's fast. There's a hundred that level, though, isn't there? Yeah, that, and that I mean, was okay. The point, he is he is blindingly quick, and and you, you've got to love That's... Chris's passion and the way he approaches things. What a great spectacle! Mm. But actually, and he he never at, at the top level, and I, I would say this far because it, I I don't think his career's necessarily over mm. in 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 one respect, especially when you look at the longevity of Sebastian Loeb. But um, he, he almost just was missing that little uh, ability to. Um, drop that pace back and and hold his concentration. When he tried to do it, he very often made little mistakes, and that was an, that was an odd thing. It was very it, it was unfathomable. I, I couldn't fathom it because Chris, super intelligent guy, mm. an engineer, you know, intelligent, mm. clever, understanding, unbelievably quick, never quite put that that super reliability aspect into it. So you know, well he's he's he's. He's testing with Skoda this year, and who, who knows? You know, talking to Mikhail Rabinek uh, at the back end of last year, he said they would very, very, very happily have Chris in a car uh, this year. So it's quite possible we could see him in, in WRC2. As you said, George, you know, the guy's got a lot of time left um, in the sport. Yeah. So let's let's wait and see. Sorry, Luke, I jumped in there very rudely. No, it's, it's okay. I, was, I don't like to... I'm not going to pick a fight, and I don't like to argue people, but I do... I do wonder, just against George's point, how, and I, I could be totally wrong with this, because you could argue that he had enough chances, but with Chris, I always felt it was, he almost had to overdrive a car every single time he went out in it. Oh, not, not necessarily, to be fair, in his last year with Toyota. I think there, there were a couple of mistakes. I remember the the power stage, I think it was Portugal in particular, he was on the podium and he, he just clipped something on the inside. There was no need to push for anything. That was just game over. It did help Tanak, to be fair, find out OJ's time and back off at the end, if I remember right. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, so the, the, maybe that was a, a team tactic all along. But with Chris, I, I think we can't forget the magic of 2016 and just how good he was that year in, yeah. in the Citroen. But you could argue there that was because there was no pressure on him. Because all he had to do was was test the C3, come to rallies. He had a good position. He, he had everything in his hands to do it, and he could just do the job. But it comes to a full year, he, he always felt like, to me, he sort of was too desperate sometimes to, to prove himself. And it probably stems from the fact he he spent longer than perhaps his talent deserved trying to get himself into the position. So he had the mini chance, which came and then 
disappeared almost as quickly as it arrived and then he got back into stitching I think a couple of years later but even on his warm-up rallies there his, his speed was mental but he was putting it off the road and just showing that was his tactic most drivers would get in that car and think right we'll, we'll just get a finish but Chris was like nope we're going to show everyone how quick I, I still can be and mm. it's, a, it's a real big what if for me but as, as you mentioned David I would love it if we could see him back in in WRC2 or something like that because we all know the quality of that field at the minute so it would be no no shame to see Chris in there at all. I, th- I think he is yeah. potentially going to struggle if he wants to get back into the main world championship just because there's, there's not enough drives available. Um, and he's, he's probably had enough chances there that it doesn't make him that appealing at over 40 years old for a manufacturer to take on. But he can still 100% do a job for somebody. So the, the Skoda fit seems really nice. I think you're right. And we, I mean, perhaps now we've we've talked about Chris for a disproportionate amount of time in the podcast but he, he you know Chris Meek is that kind of guy isn't he He pulls you into a conversation and and you're there for a while and and you, I think you're dead right Luke in in 16 he came to a part program in the championship and and didn't have the pressure uh and the way that he won you know both Portugal and Finland uh was was so calm so completely collected um and I I thought then that we turned a corner uh, and we came there, you know, with that with that C3. It was a shocking car in Sweden. You know, in all the time I've worked in in rallying, I don't think I've ever yep. seen a driver quite. Who so... developed? Who was the driver that developed yep, that car? Absolutely, I agree. But equally, yeah. there are there were significant budget restraints that we didn't see at the time that we've we've come to understand now that it wasn't the same sort of development process that the other teams went through. But then you get to Mexico. That that he won Mexico. Forget everything that happened. And Corsica, he was absolutely bossing it, wasn't he? When that, it was a, I don't know, was it some sort of oil pipe or something came off? And and you think if he'd won Corsica, then he could have been probably close to the lead of the championship. Would it have had a, made a difference? I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, I do know that we probably should move on. Um, Definitely. More than, more, than, more than disproportionate now. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And the last bit of news really to talk about, we, we talked about it very briefly earlier, is Mexico has been off the championship. It was off the championship last year, of course, and this year because, the, in fact, all of the Americas is off the championship this year. And the reason for that is... Uh, obviously, Rally Mexico comes quite early in the season. It was supposed to be in March, late March, early April. Uh, and there were still some concerns over the logistics um, with COVID-19 still hanging around. Um, and the, the basically the promoter wanted Mexico in, I believe. But it was just it was quite a risk uh, to send everything on the boat to potentially have a flare up again um, or a new variant. And then everything would have to come home. So no Mexico for this year. Uh, so what the Mexicans are doing is what they do best is they're improvising with uh, the Rally of Nations Guanajuato, which is in 2009, they did this Rally of Nations idea. It's a brilliant idea. They bring uh, two drivers from each country uh, and then put country against country. In 09, it was Chevy Ponce and I think Danny Sola uh, who won for Spain. Uh, we mm-hmm. don't know exactly who's coming. Uh, they haven't uh, They haven't revealed the teams yet we do know there's i think there's 15 countries uh coming what's the, um, what's the what's the date david david april the 1st to the 3rd which falls beautifully Fantastic. in the middle of our uh, enormous yawning gap between sweden and croatia uh and Perfect. from what well, we can see the, the you know it's the same stages chocolate uh all of these brilliant brilliant roads uh that we love no, in mexico will be will be back this year David, this is really important news because I want you to know, and I'm going to speak on behalf of Luke for this, that, that we, we as Scots, we can take the heat. And we know you can't, so we, we are prepared to go. Luke and I, look, I'm speaking on your behalf, Luke. We are prepared to go to Guanajuato on your behalf. Yeah, that will be duly noted because I was thinking about the date. We've moved back into April, so it will be even hotter. Uh, so there'll be even less oh. requirement for my jumper, which concerns me deeply, uh, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so, but no, a great initiative, fabulous to to be back uh, in in Mexico, and hopefully, obviously, the you know the the overarching reason for this is that they want to be back and they want to demonstrate what they can do to to come back to WRC yeah. next year. Big, well, huge investment from Guanajuato State. Yeah. Um, 
and keeping... if ever an event if ever an event deserved to be in the world championship it is rally mexico it is an amazing event incredible organizers incredible yeah. help from the state from mexico mm. and what an absolute platform to say this is mexico and aren't we fantastic and you know what they're right it is brilliant ah totally and and you know sort of continual yeah. innovation with those people when they came in yeah. all those years ago uh you know they were the first with the with the service park inside um, and then with the, they were the first with the with the first subterranean stage when the Guanajuato Street stage went underground. Oh, unbelievable, um, unbelievable! And it's continued. You know that 50, 50 mile eighty k stage on a Sunday a few years ago. Yeah. Um, it's, no, chocolate. It's, yeah, yes. it's, it's even the names of the stages. I mean, come on, chocolate stage. I mean, exactly. It's great. <laughs> you, you're <laughs> never going to go far wrong with that, are you? And then also, yeah. I mean, one of my abiding memories was was the Zacalo. Um, where in the centre, right in the centre of Mexico City, <clears throat> to see rally cars go through there was just phenomenal. And it's only when you talk to Patrick Subervel and Gilles Spitalier, the, the organisers, um, and you understand the effort that went in, that, that literally people were out there sort of scrubbing the, the rubber marks uh, off, the, off the floor of, the, of this central piazza in in the middle of Mexico City. So this is a real sort of historic part of, of the city. And they, they were allowed to go in there and use it, but they had to leave it exactly as they found it. And it, just the effort was quite phenomenal yeah. uh, from them. So, yeah, great to see them back. Uh, and looking forward, uh, of course, we've actually got a fairly busy weekend of motorsport coming up, Luke. We've got Extreme E back. And, of course, very importantly, we've got Snowdrift. We do, yes. And George and I are, are still to this. Sorry, yeah. Let's get into this snowdrift thing, Luke. Crack on. George and I are still looking for that plane ticket, and um, it's not too late. Mm. So if if anybody does have that going, <laughs> the a continuation from last I, week. But yeah, I, I'll come in your hand luggage as well. It would be a struggle to fit me in there, but definitely count me in for a bit of snowdrift action as well. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Well, well I'm sure, I'm sure that somebody can accommodate. Uh, three tickets if if we can find one or two or three, <laughs> we'll keep begging. Um, but yeah, it's it's yeah. one of those it's one of those weekends. You're right. It's something we've got. We've had a couple of weekends with not much on. Then we've got two things to watch, um, which from a sort of website running news desk perspective was always a bit of a logistical challenge to have essentially two different teams rotating around different weekends. <laughs> I'll be on ARM. and time zones as well, isn't it? And and time zones. Yeah, and I'm quite famous for not knowing my conversions very well um, from. London time Likewise. to America, so I'm I'm not always the most reliable, um, but there we are. I probably shouldn't admit to that on a rally podcast, but there we go. Um, but yeah, it, <laughs> it, it, ARA, and you've actually because it was on the thing, and I've forgotten to pull up the latest entry list. So while I'm going to casually talk over my typing, so we don't hear it on the background of the podcast. But yeah, we, we sort of mentioned that if you missed last week's podcast, we did sort of talk about a couple of things about the event. Essentially, if you Bonfire don't fire rally. Bonfire yes. Alley. Essentially, if you don't know too much Take about... Take me there. Take me there. <laughs> Essentially, if you don't know too much about the rally, it's the opening round of the American Rally Association Series on snow and ice, as the name would suggest, um, but without any studded tyres. It's not like Sweden, where the average speeds are just as high as they are anywhere else in the calendar. It's a bit of a... Put it this way, if, if you're Barry McKenna in his, his Ford Fiesta World Rally car, you're probably looking at... Where, where you can't hit things as opposed to where you can mm. get the most time. It's, it's, it's one of those. Mm. Um, but on that same point, where else would you find on the same entry list the, the last generation of a world rally car and a Mazda RX-7? You wouldn't. Oh, wow. You wouldn't find it anywhere else other than America. <laughs> it's just brilliant. I suspect we will not hear that RX singing at, uh, at, at 9,000 RPM or whatever it is they do. It's that incredible sound out of those rotary engines. Rotary engines, uh, yeah. It, it's it's a rally that you know the, the the best driver will win that it's such a leveler and and it can be a quite a small car that wins it you know it, it, unlikely to be a world rally car other than the fact it's probably the best drivers in in those machines but uh, if there's somebody with real talent if there's a if there's a budding Chris Meek crazy quick uh, down the field in a in a fairly you know group N type car he could actually do phenomenally phenomenally well here because it's all about tractions if you've got 400 horsepower 400 times nothing is still nothing and you've only got 200 horsepower actually you're probably in a better position mm. you've got less to manage so you'll you'll actually go quicker so great leveler i would love to see a shock result you're, you're spot I, on with just... that actually george because it has happened over the years as well and david sorry i'll, I'll yep. let you make your point 
No, 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 no. I was just going to say, just uh, whiz us through the perhaps the leading the leading runners, if you if you could, if you have now located your entry list. I have. So that, that's that's the beauty of of way way in the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so I did I did mention McKenna um, and co-driver Leon Jordan. They are the twenty twenty champions. Had a bit of a difficult year last year but it's looking like they're going to be mounting a full attack again around Barry's work commitments which is great to see um, mm. in terms of actual top class entries in terms of the open class cars we are a little bit lighter um, there is an announcement coming um, this week depending on when you listen to this podcast you may well know but due to the wonderful life of journalism and embargoes I'm not permitted to say anything at this point as you record it but there may be another car in the mix. Um, but other than that, you've got driver, and I think a really interesting driver to, to look at uh, this weekend is Kyle Tilly, um, winner of yeah. the, the, the Daytona 24 Hours this year. A very established racing driver, but taking rallying very seriously. If there is a feature on the website this week um, from the, the wonderful Mason Runkle with Kyle, and let's just say he's, he's not got very many weekends off this year with, with what he's planning to do in a rally car. Um, yeah. assisted by Martin Brady in there I think they're in a Fiesta Rally 2 um, with McKenna Motorsport but he's meant to be doing rallies in the UK in a historic escort he's potentially doing a few WRC rallies he's definitely doing Sweden so he's not messing about and it's not the easiest thing to go from racing around the track to, to driving on snow so it'll be interesting mm. to see how he fares I think Ah, no, definitely. It, it absolutely will. Well, if he's if he's got talent, it can easily shine through on on that snow rally. It's having the patience and the understanding. Racing drivers are generally very very methodical, so uh, I wish wish him good luck. Actually, mm. and talking about racing drivers, there is obviously the racing element of of Extreme Eight, uh, which it it will be fascinating to see back in Saudi Arabia in Naom this weekend. It was obviously a, a quite a tricky event last year with with all of the is it dust. the same course david i don't know to be perfectly honest george i yeah. i would it's, imagine it's moved the... location i think isn't it I'm, i swear it was has it all right yeah um but, which well. i think well you were there last year david so where, where did they dump you in the, in the desert they, <laughs> quite literally in the middle of nowhere uh but it was i mean this is the thing it was just extraordinary to be in the middle of the arabian desert watching these things come you know, up the steepest of steep dunes and down oh, and dropping it was, away. It was, it was fantastic. It was good, and, to, it was good to watch. And, uh, you know, they've had time to work on the cars, particularly the suspension was an issue. There's some electrical issues with the power steering and what have you, but I'm sure they will have sorted it. And they've got a great entry. Uh, and, you know, you look at the names, the, the likes of, of Christofferson and, and, of course, the women as well, uh, Jutta Kleinschmidt in there. And for me, Christina Gutierrez, uh, absolute heroes these women so uh, it's it's great to see emma gilmore mclaren in there for the first time there's lots to uh to keep us on our toes but for me last year the ones that really deserved a huge amount more than they got was the chip ganassi team uh of kyle leduc and sarah price uh and yeah i i spoke to sarah price middle of last week we're hoping to uh to involve sarah in our women's month at dirtfish which is which is all the way through march uh and more news on that as it arrives but uh sarah was saying you know they they were quietly confident coming into the championship they'd done the pair of them have done so much off-road so many bajas and and these kind of things and one event that sarah had just finished <clears throat> excuse me was the king of hammers so who knows anything about the king of hammers I knew nothing about it. Um, no, I've never heard of it, David. I, I would encourage you both to go and Google it, and then your respect for people like Sarah Price will just go even further through the roof. So she came on the phone, and she apologised for... She said, oh, and my voice isn't just like mine, actually. My voice isn't great at the minute, and it's because she'd been shouting in, in the car in this King of Hammers thing, and honestly, it's just nuts. Uh, but fantastically entertaining off-road racing for me if you want a tip for the championship it's got to be sarah price and kyle leduc uh at ganassi hopefully they will have more fortune starting in in saudi arabia this weekend uh but yeah great to see extremely back for another for another season um and now i think we are moving rapidly towards the point george where oh. luke and i will go make a cup of tea and we will uh, we will just listen well, to your to your you, six. You can, six you can story. try. You can you can try that, David. <laughs> but uh, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna deviate you away from that. Ooh. Um 
bit of deviation. deviation. To, to classic safari rally. All our Kenyan oh, fans crikey, out there of thinking, what on yep. earth, yep. What on earth is Dirtfish thinking about? Are very, we getting ignored? Very, sorry. Yep, so no, to all our Kenyan, our Kenyan listeners, why are we not out there following that event, uh, David? That's the first thing. Why know? are we not? Okay. That's a very good because point. Because it is an amazing, an amazing rally. It's uh, a proper one, isn't it? It's the classic rally. It, it's, it's on a rest day today. It's on a rest day today. So we've had four days of action, rest day, and then and then we start again. They're in, I think they're staying down at Kilimanjaro, Buffalo, Lodge, or they're in the they're in the Amboseli game park game park there for a rest day, which has got to be very welcomed by everyone. Yeah. Um and and it, it's you know, hundred kilometer stages. Um uh, and, and classic rally cars, Porsches, Escorts, Datsun two forty Zeds. Skodas, <laughs> uh, all sorts. Uh, the, the Rover Vitesses, which were never really rallied in uh, in Safari, but they did have a mm. good rally career in in at least in in Europe and or near Europe and UK. Um, so yeah, what a fantastic event, and it's going very well. It, it, it seems to be um, yielding the result. They've not had any terrible weather or anything, so it's going well. But anyway, Patrick Sandell leading. Kenya. Patrick Sandell leading. Patrick Sandell leading. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm very, I'm very sorry. sorry. <clears throat> no, I, I was just going to say, I, I do think, and I'm actually meant to mention this in, in the snowdrift section, because it's why Ken Bok isn't there. <laughs> it's because he's, yeah. he's yeah. In, in the safari. And I have to say, and I don't know if I should be, I don't think surprise is, is the fair word, but I'm very impressed with what he's, I think he's won about half the stages of the event already. He was leading after the first day. And given he's got yep. practically no experience at all, competition-wise, in a rear-wheel drive car, let alone on a rally like this. I think it was deeply impressive what him and Alex Gelsomino have managed to do. And it is always his massive conundrum with Block, isn't it? People always criticise him and say, oh, he's only this driver, he needs three takes to do every single corner and stuff. But it's just, mm. it's totally not fair. It really isn't. It's it's a lack of respect for what he does. And I think it's a really nice thing for him to, to come here and, and prove that he's, yeah. he's on the pace of these guys that have done this rally so well, many times over. And this rally is effectively blind. Uh, um, mm. They look, there's no pace notes on it. They're, they're driving on route notes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if, if anybody's watched any videos, you know, and, and they see the cars coming along and hitting a big bump and they go, well, why did they not slow down for that? A, you can't see it. It's very, very difficult to spot these things. And I, I've done uh, I've done chase car in Kenya back in uh, uh, 80, 89, I think it was. And, uh, and I wiped the arse of the car to make no uh, bones about it <laughs> twice. <laughs> um, broke the car twice, had to repair it twice uh, to keep going. Uh, just literally coming along, lovely big long straight, concentrating, concentrating, absolutely clear, and then all of a sudden, fifty meters away, there's a there's a wash away, and that wash away. I mean, the the, the last wash away I hit, I, I nearly stopped for it. I just fell over the edge, two meters deep, little uh, you know, effectively into a riverbed, and you know you couldn't see the car from from the road. If you walked back fifty meters, you couldn't see the car, and we had to try and get it out with with broken steering. So uh, actually, we broke the steering on the way out of it, not the way in. So um. <laughs> no, but I, I think it's it's absolutely right. And next week we will bring a more of a full report on the East African mm. Safari Classic. It's something that we should have Sounds done. Good. Sorry, a huge amount Sweden, more on. Then. Yeah. Now, well, George, Swedish, I, right. I will confront you with this. You started eight rounds of the World Rally Championship. You started your home yeah. round of the World Rally Championship just once, but you just started once, yeah. you started one rally six times. Why? And maybe yes. now, actually, George, looking at the time, uh, we split this into two, uh, and we'll have okay. George's Swedish Memories Part 1. Um, and so so let's take us back to 1983. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Uh, a fantastic event. Um, it, was, it, was a, it was a warm year. It, it was, it, the, the snow was melted, um, or a lot of it was, but the rally went quite far north, so there was still a lot of ice. But the... the the lake stage was cancelled in 1983 because it was uh, it was too warm and too wet. Uh, we didn't make any pace notes. We 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 were given the pace notes of Ari Vatanen for the rally. How did that um, happen? Uh, that was uh, Peter Fubister had organised it. So Peter Fubister's uh, brother, well, P- Peter Fubister was part of our car club in Scotland. Yeah. And Peter uh, Fubister, who was his, a former editor of Autosport. And one of the yeah, finest the that, gents ever to walk this world. Yeah, the man that the man that invented the Autosport show, I believe. Yes, absolutely. Pretty Autosport well, Awards. Uh, Autosport Awards. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. And 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 a, f- a fabulous friend. Oh, he organised uh, pace notes for us from uh, 
from Arivatan, which we struggled to get. Um, and then I'd, they were they were with the Opal team, and we spotted them. I, we, we were loping around trying to get a hold of these notes and couldn't find anybody to give them to us. Um, and finally, we spotted Fred Gallagher um, uh, in the in the OK Motor Hotel where where all the top teams were staying. And uh, he he was part of the Opal team, and he was there actually just helping um, Ian Grindrod write right. up all the pace notes. Well, I think it was Ian Grindrod, was it Ian? No, Terry Harriman, it would have been, um, uh, form up all the pace notes, which was a huge job at that time. There was, was maybe 700 kilometre event, something like that at that point. And maybe maybe 800, I can't quite remember. Anyway, we spotted Fred and Fred organised the pace notes for us. So we got pace notes, but we had a homemade intercom. We didn't have any money. We had a homemade, my co-driver, Brian Woodward, who was an electronics engineer, he made our own intercom. <laughs> wow. That's, that's fantastic. Telephones and stuff. But we had no money. We bef- had no money. But before we go fantastic. any further though, George, you so you were in a mini. Uh, yes. And, and not, I, I mean, you'll... Obviously, correct me if I'm wrong here, not a Cooper S, nothing, but regardless of whether it was a Cooper S and a flying Mini, it certainly wasn't an Ascona 400, yeah. which well, those notes a, it, were made for. Yeah, yeah, but pace notes are pace notes, and Ari Vatnan's notes, which of course, uh, th- those are the notes I learned to use, so I just used that system for the rest of my life. Um, uh, it's very similar to to Juha um, Kankinen's notes, which I used one year as well because we couldn't make a recce later on. Uh, we, we struggled on a recce and we used Juha's notes for that. Um, very similar. So my, my pace notes were the same as Ari's because I, which, I learned on them. We, we made our own the second year. So were they descriptive then? Descriptive notes, yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, so not yeah. sort of speed related. Uh, not, not number, well, not gear related, sorry. Not, 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 not gear related. No, uh, so even even gear related is fairly straightforward because you you would correlate that visually and tactically to a to a to a, a speed for a corner. But the notes were fantastic and and kept us on the road one hundred percent. It was our first experience of notes. Um, although we knew that we knew the technique because Fred. No, that's not sure. I'm not sure we we must have had an example of notes before and Brian and I had gone out and, and practiced at home making notes and, and reading them and understanding them to make sure we weren't going into the event just completely raw. But it was a club mini car. Mm. It was a club mini car. And what we did was we welded a club in front onto the front of it and put effectively a Group A, a Group A um, 1275 GT engine in it. Uh, or you know, I think we just had to change the carburetor. Basically, if anybody had really checked it, it probably wouldn't have been totally homologated correctly. <laughs> but I remember at scrutineering, at scrutineering, we got collared for two things. Um, first of all, the scrutineer looked at our, you know, the, all the cars in Sweden were, were beautifully prepared, and our car was a bit of a dog um, uh, to look at. Anyway, we, didn't, we never spent any money on making it look nice. We just tried to get nice brakes in it yeah. and and a decent gearbox and engine in it. We we didn't have much money at all. But the idea of going there was just quite simply, you know, there there is, you know, 400, 450 miles of stage driving. Uh, you, you, if, even if you did the whole of the British Championship at that time, you probably wouldn't have done that. Well, you would have done, you would have done more than that because those events were about 180, 200 miles a pop. But So it was the equivalent of a lot of rallies, a Scottish yeah. Championship. It was double the Scottish Rally Championship at that time, probably. The organisers gave us free entry. We got reduced shipping. We got fuel vouchers for going. Wow. Uh, and free free accommodation. So, and I, I love driving on snow. It was a massive leveller. And uh, I mean, obviously you're going in a mini. There's no there's no prete- pretext about what you've got. But I thought, right, great chance to re- learn. I mean, I was, I was stupidly aspiring. I mean, I was a kid from Edinburgh, stupidly aspiring to, 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 to be part of the world championship or part of rally with no hope, no hope at all. I had no money. I worked as a mechanic. I had two or three jobs at a time to try and pay for my rallying. No concept of the reality, and I refused to bow to any form of sensibleness. My co-driver indulged me, uh, Brian Woodward. Um, uh, there was about, I think there was about maybe 12 of us went from the car club across to that rally, eight spectators and, uh, and four of us in the team. And uh, we just had an absolute ball. The spectators had a great time following the top cars <laughs> they did see us a couple of times i think and uh, and we we tootled around the back of this this uh, swedish rally and had a great time uh, uh, but at scrutineering the, the the scrutineer just looked at the car i don't think he even opened the bonnet he just looked at it and i don't like this car i don't like this car really don't like it 
Hacken Jungfors was his name, is his name. I hope he's still on the go. <laughs> uh, I've met him many times since. And um, he uh, he looked at the car. I really don't like it. It was such a scruffy looking car, dirty. And, you know, we'd, 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 we'd driven it from the, where we stayed with quite a ways away from Karlstad. It would have been filthy by the time it got down to scrutineering. Everything else was immaculate going into the place. And uh, in, in we popped and he, he failed us because we had a Scottish flag on the side of the wings with our names. <gasps> um, uh, and and he was, he's kicking us out, but he said that's got to be a union union flag. And, and um, he, he failed us at scrutineering. So uh, quick as a flash, um, one of my service team had nip, nipped around the garage, got a, a touch-up tin of red paint from the from the accessory shelf and the, the big petrol station that the, the, this service, the scrutineering was at the back of. It came back and we just painted a red cross on the on the white, and that was a that became a Union Jack very quickly, you know. <laughs> that, that was all we did. That's all we did, um, and 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 that was us past scrutineering. Yeah, it was a bizarre. And incredibly, in that just looking at some results, George, you finished uh, just two places behind Louise Aitken Walker in an Escort XR3i, and yeah. you finished a good half hour ahead of a certain Denis Giraudet co-driving. Paul Gardier, Paul Gardier, and yeah. in a Sunbeam Lotus. Yeah. Uh, so, well, you, you know the funny, the funny thing on that was uh, so um, the, the, a couple of funny things about that. That was the first time I ever met Denis Giraudet, a, a man that became a lifelong friend uh, many years, many many years later. But we 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 on the last night, probably the, the, the rally finished. I can't remember which it was. It was in the morning, sometime in the morning. The last night you drove right through the night for the, the the third night, I think it must have been second or third night. Double vision we drove through. The triple vision was really hard. And we're having to get out and bury our faces in the snow. Brian was the same. <laughs> we were both absolutely shattered. And uh, eventually I slipped off the road just on a long right-hander over a crest. I just let the car slip a little bit wide. And we slipped off the road into a snowbank, and it was a massive drop on the other side of it. it just, there were a couple of trees, and then it was a huge drop down to a river, as much as you could see it because it was dark, but we could see that it was a massive drop because we could look out and see the you know treetops, and Christ, we're just about down this massive drop. Anyway, we couldn't get out ourselves, and uh, the next car along uh, stopped and tried to help, and then the following car came along. That was Denis Giraudet in the Lotus. I remember them being French. Yeah. And Denny, Denny, Denny can recall the event as well, pulling us out of the snow because we thought we were knackered. Oh. And we had many things like that. On that rally, if you exceeded the... So that you had a, you had a, a stage bogey and a stage target time. So they, I think they had a bogey time that would have been set so fast that nobody would have beaten it. Yeah. But the target time was set at like 60 kph. And the, the rule that year was, if you exceeded the target time for that stage, you were excluded. So that meant if you went off in a long stage for a few minutes, you would be okay. But if you went off in a short stage, you would be screwed. Yeah. And on the first night, we 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 slipped off on a, a square a square corner, some slow slow corner. We just we just slipped off a little. Couldn't couldn't stop the car coming into it. Slipped off for a few seconds. Fortunately, we grabbed reverse and it nearly dug itself out. And then some spectators pushed us. And we got to the end of, of a like maybe just a ten kilometre stage, literally twenty seconds from exclusion, at the end of it. Brian was going frantic, you know. Brian, Brian was. We're in the stage reading the notes, and I said, "No, forget the notes. Are we going to make it in time?" And Brian, Brian Ray says, "Sharp drive," you know. That was it. <laughs> but what, what, but it what was, was it, presumably? I mean, it's, maybe you didn't have sort of W stages, but what were the roads like? Were they, given that it was quite a warm one, was it was it really rutted or? It was that 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 first night was all around Karlstad. It it wasn't as bad as you would think. Um, so some of it was, you know, you had to you had to pop the mini. I mean, the, you can imagine those massive ruts, and you, you you'll have seen them. They are absolutely like chariot tracks. Mm. Anybody that's ever been to Pompeii or Herculaneum, any old Roman town, you know, you see these chariot tracks. It was like that, but somehow the somehow we managed, and we were cracking on. I mean, you, I remember being in top gear for a long time, and there was when we went right up the very north of the rally, one of the longest stages on the rally. Was a very, there was a section of a massive wide ice road. It wasn't it wasn't on a river. It was it was a road, 
Uh, and it went on for maybe five or ten kilometres, a massive amount of time. We were just sitting between third and fourth gear. We're coming down to third gear on big long corners just because the car didn't have enough power with the spike tyres to keep it going as, as the corner tightened. Um, so you'd, you'd be dropping, frustratingly, frustratingly dropping down to, to, to third gear. Which you know that would be third top end of third gear. I had a long a long ratio in that gearbox I had, so top end of third gear would just be maybe about seventy. And you pop it into fourth, and it would only pull up to about eighty eighty five on the ice. That was as fast as it would go. It felt felt dreadfully slow on that stuff, um, but still we we learned to drive on pace notes, and we learned to, to you know keep pinned in on corners. And yeah, driving on the snow wasn't maybe just exactly the dream that we'd thought it might be, but it still was absolutely amazing. We had an absolute ball and we went back the next year. And just just to say you had, uh, obviously that year the the Swedish was won by Hannu Mikkola, but you had a great deal in common with the man who finished second, Stig Blomqvist, in that neither of you had a turbocharger. Uh, so that was the uh-huh. year that, uh, because Audi realised it was onto a winner on snow with the, the only four-wheel drive car in, in the field, and they'd got Mikola and obviously Michel Mouton in the factory A1s. So they put, I think it was because the Swedish importer had some uh, some influence here as well. They got Stig to drive the Audi 80 Quattro, That's uh, right. which was the yeah. new, it was a non-turbo, still five-cylinder, same engine. But, oh, yeah, but without the turbo, it was probably a hundred breakdown. Um, oh, at least, at least. And for, I, I think, I, yeah. I, I remember talking to Stig about this and he was not best pleased um to be left with what was then known as the poor man's quattro uh but still i mean he was less than a minute behind Mikola at the finish uh which was some some achievement on that event george i'm told i'm told by the spectators uh, our, our spectators that went there that to see stig he didn't compare with anyone else on the event mm. there was there was nobody even in the same ballpark as the guy, because he was leaning on the four-wheel drive system to pull him out of everything. Can you imagine? He yeah. just wasn't braking for anything. He was only using the snowbanks and the angle of the car to 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 slow it down. He just didn't lift for anything. Just utterly, utterly amazing. Yeah. And I mean, I think uh, Hanu was probably pushed quite hard at that. Mm. You know? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But unfortunately, what what time has done this time is time has beaten us a little bit. Uh, so what we're going to do is. George, we will ask you to uh, to talk more next week because obviously we move into Rally Sweden week next week. But we'll we'll catch up with the other five the other five stories um, from the other five Swedishes that you did. Uh, so it might I think that could well be a podcast in itself, which would be brilliant. Uh, so we'll talk about that more off air, George. But in the meantime, Luke, Luke, it's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much, uh, and looking forward to reading all about. ARA, Extremey, and everything else brilliant that you'll be writing uh, this week. Uh, and George, thank you very much. And of course, if you want to keep up to speed with what's going on, it is dirtfish.com. It is at Dirtfish Rally uh, on the socials. And look at our YouTube channel as well. We've got some some interesting videos going up. Particularly have a look for Colin Clark's first visit to Dirtfish. That was a particular highlight. I've seen it. I've seen it. That's fun. But I want to see him. I want to see him pre- pretending to drive a car or trying to drive a car. <laughs> Stay tuned, George. Stay tuned, everybody. Stay tuned. Uh, I, it's, I am it's, desperate to see that. Yes. Yeah. As we all are. Uh, it's very entertaining, predictably. Uh, so thank yeah. you for listening. And same time next week. Thank you, boys. And see you then. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you, David. Thank you, Luke.